The Hamlet Podcast, episode 19. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Macbeth, with me your host, Conor Hanrity. We are right in the middle of the action of Act 2, Scene 2, with Macbeth and Lady Macbeth both dancing along the knife edge of panic, right after Macbeth has killed Duncan in his bed. Macbeth is aghast, looking at the blood on his hands and starting to unravel, worrying about what consequences may befall him for his actions. Lady Macbeth is trying to snap him out of it. It is foolish of him to be so fixated on the blood on his hands. Remember this. If you know the play, you'll know that it will be echoed in a very famous later scene. But her husband isn't quite listening to her. Now he retraces what he saw and heard in the king's chambers. He says, There's one did laugh in his sleep and cried murder, that they did wake each other. I stood and heard them, but they did say their prayers and address them again to sleep. Some are disposed to think that Macbeth is talking about Malcolm and Donalbane, the king's two sons, presumably sleeping in rooms not far from their father. We've already heard Lady Macbeth explaining that Donald Bain is in the second chamber. But here it probably makes more sense that Macbeth is describing those sleepy, drug-addled grooms that should have been guarding the king. They both talk in their sleep. One laughs and the other cries murder and they wake each other up. Macbeth, on the brink of being caught red-handed, stands still and listens to them. They say a prayer and go back to sleep. Again, we have Lady Macbeth finishing one of his lines of verse, again reassuring him that she knows how everything is laid out and that it will be fine. Yes, she's saying, there are two guards in the same room close to the king. There are two lodged together. But now we get to the heart of what's starting to trouble Macbeth. He continues his description of their prayers. One cried, God bless us, and amen the other, as they had seen me with these hangman's hands, Listening their fear, I could not say Amen when they did say God bless us. So Macbeth has been unable to pray. The two guards are still capable of this. Bear in mind they're probably still drunk and not terribly sophisticated in whatever prayers they say, but they do offer up a God bless us and an Amen. Macbeth is catastrophizing, imagining that they could see him while they prayed. He thinks they were praying as if they could see him with these hangman's hands. He now has the bloodied hands of an executioner. The hangman was very often tasked with the ghastly business of drawing and quartering someone executed by hanging, and so a hangman's hands were very likely stained with blood. We've mentioned the Roman playwright Seneca in earlier episodes. There's a speech at the end of his play Hercules Furens, or The Mad Hercules, in which he likewise contemplates his bloody hands and worries about his fate. This reference will appear again, so I'll put more information about the play in the show notes for this episode. Suffice to say, it's quite an elegant reference, the mad hero regaining consciousness after a murderous rampage, and so it makes sense for Macbeth now to be returning to himself after what he has done. What's worse, Macbeth is afraid that in killing the king, he has cut himself off from God and from redemption. While the two groomsmen say their prayers, he cannot even join them in saying Amen when they say God bless us. 
We've seen this kind of concern before in Hamlet, when Claudius, another king-killing murderer, had comparable difficulties when he tried to pray. Again, Lady Macbeth tries to be practical in the face of her husband's horrible imaginings. Again, she's trying to get him to snap out of it, to stop giving so much thought to these things. She says, consider it not so deeply. But he's having none of this. He's rattled by this inability to pray, or even to say an amen in agreement with someone else's prayer. He asks, but wherefore could I not pronounce amen? I had most need of blessing and amen stuck in my throat. Macbeth worries that this is a symptom of his great damnation now, since he of course has committed a grave and mortal sin, a murder, a regicide no less. So he feels like he would be in need of a blessing, and now he's panicking because amen stuck in his throat. He couldn't even say it. He's really starting to spiral. His wife, perhaps starting to panic in her own way, is eager for him to stop this and get back to business. She very rightly points out that these deeds must not be thought after these ways, so it will make us mad. She's saying that he cannot spend this time thinking about such things. To do so is a recipe for disaster. It will drive them mad. But Macbeth isn't finished. Apparently he heard more. He says, Methought I heard a voice cry, sleep no more. Macbeth does murder sleep. The innocent sleep, sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care, the death of each day's life, sore labour's bath, balm of hurt minds, great nature's second course, chief nourisher in life's feast. These lines have been used to suggest that Shakespeare may himself have been an insomniac. In Henry IV he has a brilliant speech for the title character, who likewise describes the misery of a sleepless night, and now he lets Macbeth describe how important sleep is to our well-being. We can of course assume that Shakespeare was just a brilliant observer of all human nature, but I do like the thought that he knew how bad insomnia can be. Macbeth worries that he heard one of the voices crying out sleep no more. Macbeth does murder sleep. He's making sleep into a victim of his crime as well as Duncan. In committing this murder, he's killing any chance of a peaceful night, and now waxes lyrical on the importance of sleep since he knows that he has now lost it. The innocent sleep, not available to the guilty. Sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care. This is quite a lovely, ordinary image. Our cares are like a torn sleeve, and sleep is what fixes them, knitting them back together when we have unravelled. Sleep is the death of each day's life, he says. Another simple image, since every day dies when we go to sleep at the end of it. Sleep is sore labour's bath, the relaxation that comes after our daily toils. It is the balm of hurt minds. Shakespeare's getting a little bit more poetic here, describing sleep as the relief and respite of a hurt mind. He's right, too. Many of our problems do seem to diminish in the aftermath of a good night's sleep. He even describes sleep as the main course in the meal of life. We get more sustenance from this chief nourisher in life's feast, and it's the second course, the main course, rather than even the starter, than from almost anything else. These are all rather grand images. 
But that's precisely the point. Macbeth is eulogising all of these great qualities of sleep because he feels that sleep is now dead to him forever. That's what he thinks he has heard, anyway. Lady Macbeth, presumably now approaching her own breaking point, asks, What do you mean? And Macbeth continues, Still it cried, Sleep no more, to all the house. Glams hath murdered sleep, and therefore Cawdor shall sleep no more. Macbeth shall sleep no more. Macbeth repeats, Sleep no more, a total of four times. He's genuinely convinced he's heard it. The voice he heard cried that Glams had murdered sleep, and therefore Cawdor shall sleep no more. Macbeth, who is, as we've experienced in the play so far, both Glams and Cawdor, Macbeth shall sleep no more. There's an echo of the witches here in the way that they communicate, and particularly their prophecies, in this description of Macbeth and his various titles, and in the way that they're saying, in the future, he will sleep no more. This puts us in mind of what the witches promised, that greatest that may still be hereafter. But it's almost ironic now that having killed Duncan, instead of any excitement or success, Macbeth feels like he has ruined his life and his future. Sleep No More, repeated so often in this scene, is the name of a long-running show by the immersive theatre company Punch Drunk. The show takes place in the McKittrick Hotel and is an immensely popular adaptation of the play through a film noir lens. I haven't ever been to see it myself, but I hope that on my next visit to New York, provided that Covid numbers continue to go down, I might have the chance to experience it myself. If you have seen it, do let us know what it's like. Until then, we will continue with our own experience of this play. We've reached the end of this week's text, perhaps not the most Christmassy material that we'll encounter in these days, but this is the hazard of exploring such a dark and violent play. I hope that you're enjoying the holiday season wherever you are, and that you'll have silent nights and peaceful sleep, unlike our hero, for these last remaining days and nights of the year. Thank you very much for your company and for your support throughout the year. It means a great deal to me, and I love hearing from you. I'll be back very soon with more, and I hope you'll join me then. <laughs>